thanks for joining us for another episode of the Appledore Research Podcast. My name is Robert Curran, Consulting Analyst with Appledore. As ever, we're here to share insights on the transformation of telecom in the era of cloud, network automation, and AI. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Now, enjoy the show. Telcos often talk about innovation as a driver for change, yet the industry has a reputation for caution and conservatism. Given the technology is now at their disposal, cloud and AI spring to mind, but but also fully containerized cloud-native cores, edge clouds, is it time for telcos to completely rethink what they mean by innovation? With me here today to discuss innovation and what it means, I'm really delighted to welcome Marius Waldrum from Working Group 2 and Justin Burdett from Moby. Good afternoon. Good evening, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for having us. Also joining me here today is, welcome back, Francis Hasem. Good to be with you again, Robert. Marius, thanks for joining us on the Apple Podcast. Lots of interesting things to, to talk to you about. Before we get on to the main topic, can you give us a quick introduction to, to Working Group 2? And, and Justin, maybe you can follow through with a, with a brief intro on Moby. For sure, will do. So uh, seven or eight years ago, uh, a bunch of guys working inside of Telenor, uh, they wanted to see if they could build innovative products uh, on top of the core, uh, core platform. Uh, they set up set out to build something that they called SMS Plus. Now, this was an application that would allow users to send uh, text messages uh, using their mobile phone number in a web uh, app, basically. Uh, so it turned out that doing that was uh, pretty hard. Uh, so hard, in fact, that uh, the idea of building a cloud-native software uh uh, uh, core network uh, came about. And uh, this group of guys, they started doing that inside of Telenor. Uh, the project uh, started taking shape and Telenor decided to spin it out uh, to give this project uh, wings and, and see if we could build a truly global platform. Uh, and from there, uh, building a cloud-native uh, core, core network, uh, adding a set of APIs on top of that core network, allowing basically anyone to build interesting products uh, on top of it is, uh, is a major focus for us. Uh, and if you fast forward to today, I think we have come to a place where we can prove that our main value proposition, which is simplicity, affordability, and innovation, resonates with the market. We have added operators in both Europe and, uh, and, the, and the US, uh, to mention a couple of them. Uh, Vimla from Sweden, they have been running their core, their core network in the cloud since 2017. Uh, I, I think they have been operator of the year every year since. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then uh, we have operators like uh, CK Hutchison. Uh, they yeah. uh, came on a while back now. And now, of course, uh, in, a, in a North America, Moby. And we're extremely happy to be working with Justin and, and his team. Great. That's a, a great intro, Maris. Just help me understand, you've grown quite a lot recently, if I understand that correctly. About how many people are you now working at, at Working Group 2? Right. So we're about 85 people. Uh, most, most of the people working here are software engineers. 
so we have grown pretty rapidly. I, I think uh, I think I was employee number twenty or something. Uh, okay, but, uh, just a couple of years back. Okay, great, exciting, exciting times for you guys. Uh, then there's a, there's a bunch of things we'll be talking about later on that, but that, that's a great start um, and a great segue into into Justin uh, and and Moby. Um, definitely, definitely a name that that will be not as familiar to to folks in in Europe at least. But but give us a bit of background on on Moby and and your your role there, obviously, and your background. Sure. Um, so Moby uh, launched in 2005 as a regional uh, wireless carrier focusing on Hawaii. Uh, Moby was actually created originally uh, Moby PCS. Uh, and Metro PCS was um, sort of our, our sister uh, MNO on the mainland US. And uh, a few years later, T-Mobile acquired Metro. Moby uh, continued on uh, as best we could. Um, and uh, we um, went through a few sort of, um, I, I guess, phases uh, of, of being uh, obviously a traditional sort of typical regional MNO. Uh, in 2015, 2016, we, we sold a lot of our RAN to Verizon and sort of transitioned into a kind of a hybrid MNO, MVNO world. But on the MVNO side, we were entirely a light MVNO. And that was uh, uh, actually most of my time in telecom has also been uh, working on uh, what are pretty much the only option for MVNOs in the U.S., the uh, light MVNOs. Um, that was painful for Moby uh, because, you know, if you're an MNO on one side and you know all of the, you know, obviously challenges, but also advantages, and a light MVNO on the other side, and then you have to deal with all of these limitations and restrictions, uh, it, it can be disappointing. Uh, that was eventually what led to, uh, to our conversations with, uh, with WG2, uh, was wanting to figure out a way where we could uh, have sort of the best of both worlds on our on our both our MNO side and our MVNO side uh, to be able to uh, to bring that um, that flexibility to to both sides of the equation. That uh, that's been the last few years. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's been keeping you keeping you busy. You, you have a long background in in the telecom industry, Justin. Is that, that fair to say? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I did, uh, I did have experience in a few different corners. Uh, I've worked for CLEC and, uh, dial-up ISP, uh, were one, some of my, uh, earlier, uh, telecom roles, but, um, uh, prior to Moby, I was with Ting, uh, which was acquired by Dish a couple of years ago. Uh, and that was, that was exciting because it was sort of, uh, for at least me, kind of a golden era of, of, uh, of uh, for MVNOs in the U.S. Um, and uh, we got to do a lot, but we also had to deal with a lot of uh, limitations. And uh, that was what ultimately led me to, to Moby, where, uh, where I came over in late 2017. Great, great. One of the things that I, I think is helpful for, for people in telecom today uh, is to understand kind of what this future world looks like 
it's a future world for them. For you guys, it's a day-to-day world. And and I'm interested in understanding, particularly, you know, we talk a lot about culture change and roles changing and so on. But but when you're already there, you're already living it. I mean, what do the people working at Moby, what are they doing <laughs> all day? <laughs> and, and, and how is that, you know, how is that different from, uh, you know, what happens in a, in a conventional telco, even a conventional, you know, MNO or MVNO? What's the, what does a day in the life of Moby kind of look like, Justin? I guess it's, I mean, it's different uh, to some degree, right? Because uh, you, you heard Marius mention how many folks are on, on, on their team. We're actually a tiny bit smaller. We're about 65 folks. But we have, you know, at a typical regional MNO, uh, you, know, you might be 100 folks, uh, depending on whether you have sales or customer service or things like that in-house. Um, but, uh, we, we really don't have anybody who, who work directly on, on the switch, right? That's all, <laughs> that's all folks at working group two now. Um, and so our, you know, our engineering folks, our product folks, you know, they're spending time thinking about our mobile apps. Uh, they're spending time thinking about, uh, you know, what we can do, uh, on top of the core rather than just spending time thinking about, uh, operating the core itself. Um, you know, that's a, that's certainly transformational for us. Um, not just in terms of, you know, the, the people resources, but obviously the economic side of it is, is vastly different as well than it was before. Um, and, you know, having, done work with the typical telecom, um, you know, you're, you're sort of locked into, for whatever reason, uh, and there are quite a few, but you're sort of locked into these innovation cycles where, you know, you can, you can maybe do something big twice a year if you're really lucky four times a year, right? And that requires enormous, you know, advanced planning and, and you know, just a significant amount of, of things to go right for that to actually work out and, and happen. Um, you know, for us, we're able to, to uh, you know, to work on two-week sprint cycles so that, uh, you know, if, if something falls behind schedule or something doesn't work out, then we push it to a future cycle. But it's a very different way of operating, I think, compared to what we're used to seeing uh, with, you know, even other telecoms that we partner with or work with. Francis, I know you, you've you written a lot on, on innovation. And I think, Justin, you, you've kind of alluded to that uh, just here. It, it seems to me, you know, we started this conversation by asking about whether whether what you're doing and what you're doing with working group two and what they're doing is, is means telcos should rethink what they mean by innovation. Francis, do you want to, do you want to put a little bit of extra context on that given, given your work here? Yeah, I, I think there's two things Justin has really quite heavily um, pointed out, which are success factors in what uh, Moby and WGO2 um, is uh, achieving. The, the first is, is, is something is looking at uh, innovation that's not kind of tied to a technology standard or something that is coming out on a uh, six-month release or it's a 3GBP standard. Um, they're able to kind of think about it. They're almost able to start thinking about maybe what they're doing as becoming the standard rather than the standard defining what 
uh, what what they become. The second thing I think, which Telco actually finds very hard, and 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 let's be clear, it's actually very very difficult. Telcos, most a lot of telcos, they're, they're nation typically nationwide uh, enterprise, particularly the MNOs. Um, and they are large monolithic organi- they're large monolithic organizations that innovate monolithically. Um, uh, they quite a lot of their you could argue certainly in equipment a lot of their procurement policy is a kind of zero sum game, um, and they find partnership actually very very difficult. And I think the key thing here is this is a partnership. This is this is a this this is uh, uh, it's both a partnership, but it's also an example of disaggregation. Uh, Justin made a very strong point, which is he's able to innovate his services on top of the innovation that is occurring uh, within WG2. And and that, I think, is, is, is the two key strands. We can, we can go to a lot more detail about innovation, but fundamentally it's about, it's about culture. It's about being able to not wait for a standard, but to actually develop, become the standard. And it's this, uh, what I think has become more and more important in, in this area is this idea of partnership, whether it's partnership with other industries or whether it's partnership with uh, innovative applications that you want to bring in. Uh, maybe you want to bring trust into the equation. Maybe you want to bring uh, uh, security into the equation. Maybe you want to uh, add in value-added, I don't know, semantic processing or control loops into your processing. That only occurs when you can bring others into the equation because you won't have all of that, that, that knowledge and that content. So partnership and leading and, and, and blazing the trail, not waiting for somebody else to define it. Great. Um, uh, Maris, that, that, that takes me back to, to something I wanted to, to bring up with you. I, again, earlier in the conversation, you, know, you mentioned the genesis of, of Working Group 2. And, and you started with an interesting comment about, about wanting to create applications on top of the core. It's kind of what Francis is talking about here. Um, rather than just, you know, the traditional, you know, core being, you know, voice and video and data. Um, that's, that's still a very active part of your business. I know you, you're doing some work with other, other companies as a sort of enabling platform. Um, Justin's talked about some of the ways in which the, the some of the style in which they, they've been using. I hope we'll talk about some examples, but, but are you able to, to add any color onto what that, what those kind of enabling products and services kind of look like on top of a working group two core or the companies you're working with who are doing interesting things, leveraging that core, leveraging that scalability? For sure. Uh, so I'd like to start with just asking the question, what is a great product? It's an open other question. And uh, uh, I think that to create a great product, you need to start with a very deep understanding of the user that you're building a product for. Now, telecom has, what is it, something like 100% market penetration across the world. And that means, what, 8 billion users? No way uh, that we or anyone else, any one company, will have a deep understanding of everyone on the planet. That's, that's, that would be unreasonable, right? So our, our approach is that we're opening up for developers all across the world. Uh, developers who have these diverse backgrounds, local knowledge, and so on to build products that addresses real needs, real problems, and desires for users that they know of. That's that's kind of the philosophy behind uh, why we're doing uh, 
this open model. Now, uh, for us, what we often refer to as the product ecosystem has been something like a two-step rocket. Now, we started out with making uh, uh, what operators already do, integrating uh, whatever surrounding software products to a core network. Let's use a BSS as an example, making that much, much easier. So uh, I'm not going to say too much on, on how that's uh, done today for operators. I, I guess you have covered that on, on previous episodes of this uh, podcast. Uh, I guess those who know, they know. Uh, and with with us, it's uh, it's a little different. So what we do is we ask the developers uh, to go to our developer portal. Uh, they sign up, set up their account. Uh, they submit their product, be verified. Once it's verified, it will show up uh, for Justin and, and other operators in uh, in their interface that we call the console. And they can say, hey, okay, I see this product. I'll click this button, I'll enable it. It's enabled. Uh, and that's great, I think, for, for operators like Mobi. And there are also other examples with companies that run multiple operators across different countries. And for them, it's even better because they integrate the product once and then use it across their operators. So that's a massive benefit. Uh, so uh, that's uh, uh, that's the first step of the rocket, uh, and it's it's been quite popular. Uh, now the second step is to move from doing things much better to doing something that's truly new, and that's opening up for uh, companies that already have an existing product or have an ID, uh, because now it's suddenly possible, it's technically feasible to actually do a product. The economics start working, right? Uh, uh, so, so that uh, if you have a product that can, for example, reduce the number of robocalls in a clever way, you can, just like uh, a BSS vendor, go to our developer portal, set up your account, you set up your product, you submit it. And uh, you can uh, set the market availability for your own product to, f uh, to full availability so that it's available for all operators in the working group to core, core network. Uh, they set their own price uh, and uh, their product competes in our marketplace, just like a product would compete in the iOS app store marketplace or, or any other marketplace that, that yeah, most people are familiar with. Uh, and Together with uh, with Justin, we have uh, uh, identified a few interesting product opportunities. Uh, I don't know, Justin, if if you would like to say a couple of words on that, or should I keep going? One of the one of the ones you you asked uh, Robert about um, getting into specifics. One of the ones that we um, that we have worked together with the folks at WG Two on is TrueCaller, and that's. Uh, you know, any carrier on the planet, right, knows at this point, I think, that they need to have uh, a solution for uh, for handling uh, robocalls and, and spam uh, SMS. And, you know, there are very carrier-centric solutions out there that, you know, will take years to integrate with and all that fun stuff. The cool thing about TrueCaller for us, right, is they, they already have an amazing 
user experience if you download their app and and uh, on on iOS or Android. And right there, they're doing a phenomenal job of being successful doing that. The really awesome thing about the ecosystem that WG2 has built, and particularly the APIs into the core, the capabilities that they expose there that, you know, otherwise you, you just couldn't beg or, uh, or, or bribe any carrier on the planet to give you access to, right? Cause their cores aren't secure enough. They're not reliable enough. The APIs aren't robust enough. Uh, but, but, you know, as a result of that, you know, we have APIs and enum queries between uh, TrueCaller and the WG2 core so that they're populating, you know, the best possible caller ID name uh, that carries through with, you know, for example, an in- incoming call um, in real time. And that goes above, a step above, right, even the experience that you can have with their really incredible app and, and the integration they've done with CallKit, uh, Apple's um, uh, capabilities, right, is because it's happening before the phone even rings for the first time, right, there's no lag in, in, in terms of the name showing up. There's no issue with how many names you can populate in the database on the iPhone at any given time and all those sorts of things. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's taking, like, what I think is the best possible experience, and it's a pretty phenomenal experience, at the app level and, and actually bringing pieces of that into the core uh, for an even better uh, user experience, which we couldn't do, right? If, you know, if we were just ourselves trying to do that with any given core, uh, you know, it would take us years. And, and by that point, everyone else would have figured out something else, right? But because uh, what Marius was mentioning in terms of, um, you know, 8 billion folks on the planet, right? There are so many different needs and, and wants and desires. There are app developers out there already thinking about, you know, all of those things. Uh, we couldn't possibly, uh, we can try and, and, you know, think of as many as we can, but because of the openness of the core, because of the ecosystem that they're building, uh, it, it's possible for us to tap into that in ways that we never could have on our own, and certainly not as a as a small operator. I think I know the answer to the question that we started with. Does telco need to rethink the nature of innovation? I've heard at least three or four things just on this fifteen minutes already that, that lead me to believe that absolutely it, it needs to. It, it seems to me that that you you're inverting the conventional model entirely um, between what you're doing. Uh, instead of it being the kind of two-year runway and, and you kind of get what comes out at the end of that, it, it, you flip that around and say, look, we, we don't, we don't, not only do we all the answers, we don't even all the questions. Uh, and so if we can, if we can create an environment in which lots of people can answer an, uh, uh, lots of questions, then we get somewhere interesting. And I think from an, op- as an operator, you know, y- you're, you're executing to say, hey, let's 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 try, let's experiment, and that again, experimentation is another one of those things that people talk about, but they don't understand. I think the the experimentation as a lifestyle, as opposed to a department or something. It it seems to me, you know, we're hearing a lot of different things from from you, Justin, and from you, Marius. It's really interesting and, and uh, uh, certainly challenging conventional wisdom. I did want to ask, and we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but. But I mean, what what is it that that makes that kind of innovation 
difficult. Uh, we talk about some of the technology stuff, but but is it an attitude thing, a cultural thing, a technology thing? Uh, help us understand when you take this into, into operators. I'm sure they love it, and then they say, oh, we couldn't possibly do that. What, 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 how does that conversation end? Yeah, so uh, I think when you set out to build a great product, um, you start out with, with that deep understanding, uh, that deep empathy of the user. And then uh, any product that is successful, they, they have four uh, attributes. And, and, and those are, first and foremost, it's valuable to someone. Right, it's easy enough to use so that that someone can extract extract that value, and then it needs to be uh, technically feasible to build that product, and finally, uh, it needs to be economically viable. And for those two first there, uh, that's uh, what I, I think has worked so well with, uh, for example, the iOS App Store, Google Play, and so on, is that uh, the uh, those platforms, they have solved uh, the feasibility and viability problems. They have made it fairly straightforward to technically build an app, and they have set up a model that works for their businesses. Right, And we're doing the same thing now uh, just for the telcos of the world. And we're, uh, like the founders of Working Group 2, struggled even inside of an operator to get access and build, you can you can just imagine how the cost of a product of a product or a, an experiment increases when you need to to spend time uh, cutting the uh, kind of c cutting through the, uh, uh, the the jungle and and kind of even <laughs> access. That's in, a polite in, way of putting it, Maris. So polite <laughs> in, in, in in the first place, and then you. Yeah, you're, you're facing a core network that is uh, uh, stitched together with boxes from 20 different vendors uh, uh, and uh, implemented by uh, consultants way back when, uh, and it, you just have no mm. chance. So uh, the economics of it doesn't work, uh, and, and the short story with, uh, with the work Group 2 product ecosystem is that uh, it's, it's cheap to experiment, and we have put in place a price and payment model that works for developers. That is going to increase the speed of, uh, uh, of uh, testing out new things. And these developers, they are already and will continue to iterate on products that will become more and more valuable, more and more user-friendly. And I, I think that we haven't even seen the start of this uh, in, uh, in, in the future now. Uh, it's... Uh, I, I think this is going to be the uh, uh, the key thing for operators. That's they'll they'll really differentiate themselves and win in the market through products. It, it, it's certainly interesting to have this option in the market. Uh, and uh, I, I know Francis, you, you've talked a lot in our conversations about even even the sort of APIs and, and things like Camara and so on, uh, and. You know what's the difference between a successful API and an unsuccessful API? I won't, I won't spoil the punchline <laughs> on that one. Maybe you could maybe you could speak to that for a moment. Well, I'll, I'll put pause for effect. <laughs> it's used. It's used by somebody, um, and, and unfortunately, I have family history here. My my brother actually spent time 
developing and marketing teleco APIs, which were not used by anybody. Um, I think the, 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 the success here is that these are APIs. You talk about um, the, 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 the true call. It's an API that is being used. It's an API that is being integrated with WGO2. Justin has a fantastic new product, which really does differentiate in the market. So it's, it's a completely different experience between a call that is verified and a call that I have to look up. It's, it's a completely different experience. Um, so I, I, an API is used. It's, it, 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 it's great. I actually have one question for, for uh, Justin and Marius to some extent, because I think this is really important to the whole of the innovation story. Telco doesn't really like failure. And, I, and I'll characterize failure a little bit. But I'm, I'm kind of interested in what you've learned along the journey. Um, it's very easy to see this as a perfect journey that everything went all right and it, it was all fantastic. But what have you learned along the line? And because I think in, in essence, if we can understand a little bit more about that one, I think it's the way in which other organizations can understand the change in culture that is required here. Interesting. I mean, I see what you're, I see what you're saying in terms of telecom not liking failure. I would just say that telecom fails a lot. It's, it's just that we, it's, we won't go into something kind of, uh, you know, and I'm, by we, I'm speaking in general, uh, on behalf of all of telecom, I'm speaking of all of telecom, um, is, you know, if, if there's if there's any sense, right, that something um, is anywhere beyond or, or around the status quo, right, it's really difficult to get to, to get uh, folks in our industry sometimes to, to even look in that direction. Meanwhile, we'll fail all the time with the status quo, and we're happy with that, right? The, the, not happy with it necessarily always, but but that's that's what I think. Um, uh, you know, it, what was the old adage? You you know, you don't get fired for for buying IBM, or you don't get fired for buying Xerox, or, or whatever. Um, and, and you know, you can fill in that blank with uh, a few uh, a few names that I think you both have experience with, Robert and Francis, in your in your resume. But um, uh, but you know, I think the it, it's not as if everything went perfectly from the day that we signed the contract with WG two. I think right, you know, there were there were times where you know we were hoping for a particular partner or vendor to deliver something on a certain time and then they didn't and we you know there were domino effects right but i think what was different and, and what has been what really characterizes i guess the difference in our relationship is we didn't uh, write the contract such that we can punish each other, right? If, 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 if any given project is, you know, two weeks late or something, right? It, it's not, it's, it's, we're, we're, we're working towards a solution, not some kind of crazy, uh, not, not some kind of crazy, you know, economic um, death march together. You have really, a partnership. Partnership, not a abusive relationship. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. And and I think you know it 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 affects every aspect of the way that we work together. Um, and you know and and it it stems out right from uh, the 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 relationships then that Marius and his team are building with potential app ecosystem partners. Um, you know, there are some that we 
were interested in and 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 the wg2 team kind of went out and started talking to those folks there are some folks out there that were interested in wg2 and came to them um and then you know i think as as momentum builds our hope is right that people we neither of us have ever thought of will will start to to be interested in building on the core as well so it's a very different all around right a very different way of thinking about it um not that this is, you know, our network that we must protect from outsiders at all costs, right? There obviously are in, incredible security protections built in, um, but it's not that we have to walk around, you know, terrified of commercial things or of technological things or, th- uh, you know, we're open to ideas. And, and really that stems from WG2's entire philosophy, right, about how they've built their core. Justin, what, what's next for Moby? I know you're, you know, you, you talked about some of the background here uh, and, and being Hawaiian based, but but I also know that since the start of the year, you've been making noises about moving into the domestic uh, market in the US. Is that something you can talk about or want to talk about? Maybe you don't want to talk about it. <laughs> no, I think we can. Um, you know, there are, it's funny, there are some things, right, that, uh, that I probably never quite expected we would be working on, but... Um, you know, uh, uh, sometimes uh, necessity is, is the mother of innovation, right? Um, and uh, so, you know, our our, our product and UX and, and and development team they're working right now on basically building a, a very um, uh, interesting kind of way of helping people discover the WG two app ecosystem into our uh, into our mobile apps. So that if a customer wants to log into their Mobi account uh, in their iOS app or their Android app, they go in uh, and, you know, the same place where they would block SMS or turn international roaming mm-hmm. on or off, there'll be an option now there for them to, you know, turn Truecaller on or off or, uh, you know, uh, turn uh, if they want to have a VPN that's always on on the cellular side, they can turn that on or off, or, or any other apps, right? That that integrate into the into the WG two ecosystem. So that's uh, you know, did I think maybe three years ago that we would be building basically an app store into our uh, <laughs> into our mobile apps? No, wasn't necessarily something I, I envisioned us doing. But you know, I think app discovery will be a really important part of uh, of this and. Uh, you know, like everything else, uh, WG2 has kind of built APIs for, for all of those pieces. So uh, so it's a lot easier for us than it otherwise would have been. We just have to figure out how to make it work with the existing uh, user experience. But in terms of the mainland, um, yeah, I mean, we, you know, Hawaii has been our focus now for almost 20 years, um, right? But the it's, you know, less than a percent of the overall U.S. population. And so for economies of scale, right, we can serve customers from just about anywhere uh, with the existing infrastructure we have, the existing team we have. Um, and, and, you know, our, our, our cost of doing business doesn't really change very much, uh, but obviously we have hopefully a slightly larger subscriber base to, to base that on. But it was really to solve a problem more than it was a massive market opportunity, although it could be that. Uh, we'll set expectations uh, reasonably, but right, we would have folks who would move uh, to the mainland, you know, their kids would move to the mainland for college or university, or 
uh, someone would move to Hawaii and they want to keep their number from the mainland. And all of those things would be challenging, right? Because okay. we could only really do business in Hawaii. And so now instead of losing those folks, okay. uh, like you eventually would, we, we don't have to say goodbye to them and their whole family, right? As, as Moby customers. Um, beyond that, you know, I think there are so many interesting things. You know, we have stores in Hawaii. ESIM, our stores is important with ESIM. I think we're, we're about to see how, how uh, as the world changes uh, very quickly in that direction. Um, of course, they're still important to some degree, but there are a lot of folks who are perfectly happy doing everything on their own, right? Um, so it, yeah. it is an interesting time. Uh, we definitely should talk again in six months, probably. <laughs> very interesting. Great. I think that's a great, I think that's a great answer. And I think that's a great, uh, a great conclusion to this conversation. I think this has been very, very uh, interesting. It's a great uh, innovation in the industry to have a look at and, and uh, see how you're doing it. Uh, really fascinating. Um, so yeah, I think, I think we've fully answered the question that I said at the start of this. Uh, yes is the answer. Got to rethink innovation. It's not just technology. It's, it's all the way through partnership and, uh, and the other things we've talked about today. Um, so excellent. Thank you both for your time very much today. Uh, really appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to hearing more updates from you guys in, in the future. Thanks, Marius. And thanks, Justin. Thanks, Francis. Thank you. You have been listening to the Appledore Research Podcast. Join us next time for more insights and conversation on the transformation of telecom.